0: So it is it is an interesting time because a lot of people are getting back into uh, into traveling uh, and they're doing trips now and they're planning stuff. So, Athena, do you have do you have some travel ahead of you?
1: I just got back from Israel this weekend. I will be next in Israel with the amazing CXR Israel Trek. So if you didn't sign up yet, you should. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, back and forth to Israel, West Coast, Texas, Florida, all over. It's uh. The world is ready to meet again, and uh, we are happy to see customers, partners, uh, and friends from the space.
0: I love that. Are you, are you saying you're going to be in Texas?
1: I Yes, I've been in Texas, and I'll be in Texas. Oh, I'll hit Austin. you up.
0: Will it be Austin?
1: We'll try. We'll try, all Chris. Right,
0: all right. Well, keep me updated. I just We put another big slab of meat to do some dry aging in, <laughs> so I will need an excuse to, to cut some steaks off.
1: And my vegetarian steak. Yes, of
0: course. Your plant-based steak that we (laughs) we will grow before you get here. I'll eat your meat steak. It's fine. (laughs) But you guys do have Israel coming up. That's, is it April?
2: It's, it's the end of April, last weekend of April and the first week of May. Very nice. That's going to be super exciting yeah a little jealous. A little jealous. that's the one I'm passing on. A little jealous. It's
1: not too late. It's not too late to sign up, Chris. Here we have some slots.
2: I just had yesterday a Pinot noir from Israel that was given to me by Maya Huber. Mm. and um, and and the what I've learned is that the Israelis drink all their good wine so they don't export it to the United States that much. so you have to get it while you're there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Boutique—it's because they're apparently smaller vineyards, and the costs are prohibitive. Not because they don't want to share it with the world, Jerry.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking
0: forward to it. You're not sharing with Jerry; he's mad about it. That's just it. Oh my God. We'll give him a case.
1: We'll give are him a case. You, uh,
0: are you Are you ready? Are you ready to get going? Yeah. All right, we're we're gonna jump in. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of Recruiting Community, uh, your podcast here. I'm Chris White. I am the host, uh, president of Crew Crossroads, uh, and I am here to just walk you through an interesting conversation uh, that we typically will hold with interesting people. Uh, we do these uh, at least weekly and we broadcast live. So if you're joining us live in the stream, we're going to ask you to go ahead and drop a hello in the chat. Let's make sure this thing is working. Uh, if you feel so inclined, if you are on uh, I think it's on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, where the live stream is happening. You can ask questions of our guests today. You can also, if you'd like, uh, drop in your LinkedIn profile, do a little bit of networking, power networking, uh, if you will. Uh, I am excited for today's guest, but first, let me pull out of the peanut gallery.
2: There he is. Good morning, Mr. Crispin. And a pleasant good morning to you there, <laughs> How are you today, sir? Fabulous. Life is good. Wonderful. Well, we're going to
0: bring in our guest. There we go. Athena, Athena Karp from Hired Score. Athena, it's good to see you.
1: Great to be here.
0: So, uh, Athena, we have some stuff to talk about. We try to keep these to about 20 minutes or so, uh, but I do really want to get, because we've got some good topics that we want to talk about, but before we do, I'm going to ask you to give that escalator pitch uh, to the folks who may be watching us live uh, or who may be listening so that they know who is Athena Karp if they have not had the pleasure of getting to know you, and why should they be listening to what you have to say today?
1: Sure. Well, a uh, big supporter of CXR for many years now. So uh, proud proud to have partnered for many years on uh, what we started a decade ago is um, how do we bring fairness and efficiency to hiring, to internal talent promotion and mobility, and increasingly to workforce planning. Uh, so we have um, powerful, ethical, explainable, compliant by design, artificial intelligence that we've built um, that connects people data and work data to um, support and enable HR transformations across the fortune 500 I think today we have uh, over 45 percent of the fortune 100 as clients in 150 countries uh, with our AI solutions and um, really proud to continue to progress how do we rethink how work gets done and how do we rethink how talent accesses that work and bring that together in easier, more cost-effective, quality, satisfying for both party um, and ethical ways.
0: I love that. There is, There are just a handful of people that if I, if I want to know what's going on in the world of AI and certainly within the space of trans, transparent uh, transactions and auditability and just intent, like within that space, it's you. You are one of the handful of people that we sort of reach out and make sure we stay dialed into because you're always on it. So I, ha- I have to ask you uh, as we jump in, like what should TA leaders sort of be paying attention to right now in that AI space? Cause we're hearing a lot about chat GPT, uh, 15, you know, different offshoots of that generic versions of that. I saw something this morning from Scoble uh, on Twitter and he was talking about, now you can go to chat GPTs that have personalities of historic figures. Like there are these alternatives uh, there was a session coming up that was led by a couple of recruiting personalities saying this is how Chat GPT will impact recruiting. Uh, and this is how AI is going to be set up to completely automate everything. And if if we're not already thinking about it, we're too late. So, Athena, I guess I'll take a big breath there and ask you, should should the TA leaders be panicked right now? Uh, or or like what should they, what should they know about today within AI and chat GPT and all of this that's going on?
1: Yeah, so I think I'll break that into two different discussion threads, right? One is what's happening in AI today, and two, how can and should TA leaders be thinking about, um, that's a nice quote from Phil. Um, (laughs) For
0: those who are listening, we threw a a quote up, Phil's in the chat, he just said he worked with Hire Square, PepsiCo, amazing tools. so we were just sharing
1: that. Great, grateful for our customers uh, and and our um, and our kind of talent advisor leaders that that always bring us to new heights and teach us a lot. So um, when we think about AI, I, just what's exciting about whether that's ChatGPT. Um, I know you had a, a question about um, about Google and uh, what they're doing with um, Bard and some of the other applications out there. It's it's the ability to gain instant information with human answers, if you will, or humanized like answers. It's the ability to consume a lot of data and have that, you know, I I think a lot of these places where it's been inefficient, ineffective, you know, challenging for humans to constantly keep up with the volume of work with humans to constantly understand all the different answer threads and variability of how to respond to things like, What is our company policy on X? How is that changing? What should I do in this bizarre situation that I don't really know what we're supposed to do? Like in many places, I think the HR function has played the assistant to everyone in governance and policy and processes. And that's the place where I feel we have the most opportunity for the AIs to step in, provide a consistent real time, you know, Always up to date experience and Q and A answer set, if you will. But what what I get excited about is what is the kind of two questions. One, what is the AI unlocking in terms of our goals? That in many ways, I think we have. What I'm excited that COVID has unlocked is. I remember when we started hired score people we'd speak to would say it takes us six to nine months to discuss changing an HR policy, even though we know we should, right? But that doesn't mean we don't want to, and we don't know that this is a very reactive, inefficient, or unfair way of working. We just don't have the year-long discussion time to, to change that. So what I think is changing is this notion of, in COVID, we became agile. And clients have told me it took three to six days to discuss, redefine, re-implement, and train on a new policy and process. Yeah. So we gained agility, but we gained reactive agility because we were always still responding to what was urgent, what you know kind of held us hostage in the moment and we had to solve. And what I'm excited about is how do we take that agility and then make it proactive? And that's where AI, I think, can say, what are all these points that creates agile work today, you know, reactive work today. Oh, the business is understaffed to a point that it can't accept new business. We have to close a hospital floor because we can't take ambulances because we don't have the nurses on staff, or we have to close the center because we need ex-admins on site. You know, HR knows what the business ailments that create urgent crisis situations are. And that data sits in these cloud-based systems, and that's what I'm so excited that AI can unlock is how do we detect and have almost, if you thought about it, like situational awareness at all time of what will downstream create HR work, let HR know, and then let them actually bring their advisory, problem-solving, solutioning skills and resolutions to the table but negative 30, 60, 90 days, negative one, two years in advance when they can actually change the outcome.
0: But so they, I'll add it, devil's advocate, right? I, mm-hmm. I get excited about the speed in which we were able to move during during the pandemic to your point, right? We saw organizations go from three, four week days to fill to two in some really radical examples where they really did that. But the minute things started to lighten up, that two became seven again, A seven becomes 14. Like Ju- are we just too dumb to, to take advantage of the lessons that we learn by and large? Because a lot of organizations were treating the, that speed as the exception, right? And we see some that are going back and adopting these old practices and not taking advantage of it. So I guess my question to you for your opinion is, if, like, by and large, is it just going to be those organizations who learned the lessons and, and adapted and moved forward that way that, that really get to take advantage of this new technology and the other folks who went from you know three weeks to hire to two and then back to three, the second, almost like the second that they could, are they going to get left in the dust?
1: So actually, I think the scarcity of skills, I think the rapid speed of business change, I, I think the supply demand dynamics are such, Chris, that no one's going back to the old ways because to go back to the old ways, you'll have... Undealt with supply and demand gaps, you'll have skill scarcity, you'll have diversity and inclusion goals be, you know, drastically unmet. You'll like I think the expectation and evolution of how we define work, who can do the work, how we widen the aperture of access, how we like all of those things also moved with that agility. Mm -hmm. And we opened that box for the business to be retrained (laughs) on what can and should a best in class look like. I don't think we're going back to that. Plus the labor market and the supply and demand gaps are only getting wider, not, you know, decreasing. Um, So I'm more optimistic that uh, we kind of went down a path that has no return to the less than ideal past we came from. I think it's going to rather be who kind of stops here and does the minimum needed versus who continues along on that progression path and says, well, let's, let's, let's go ahead of the next wave before it catches us by surprise. Like COVID did many of us so that, you know, we're ready for, and it's kind of why we're here today to talk about this liquid talent and talent fluidity. And, and, you know, when I think of the, Baby boomer retirement. It's a great example of the workforce is losing the largest population of highest skilled talent in most organizations seemingly at once. So
2: they've already lost them, you know, and <laughs> not, they're not they're
0: coming back. <laughs> All these efforts to do these returnships great, yeah. great programs that organizations are putting in, but the, the boomers I think are just kind of like eh, just sort of done, just kind of ready to be done.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Athena. If investors who buy stock or or invest in in uh, you know new businesses, et cetera, are paying attention to those who are adopting um, what you're talking about versus those who have kind of recanted and said, i you know I want to go back to the old thing. everybody should show up 40, 40 hours a week, you know and and come to the office all the time whenever I say. you know so the if we don't if we don't differentiate between those who get it and those who don't from a monetary point of view, um, we won't be taking advantage of it is is what is so I hope that you are right. I will be optimistic when I see uh, changes in stock prices based on some of those kinds of things.
1: You know, I think Jerry it's both will investors have the foresight to reward that kind of in advance, but I've never seen data that showed me rigid, inefficient structures outperform, you know, agile, efficient structures. So I think it will, um, in the margins itself lead to that which and and that's really what excites me which is there is when we ask the compared to what and the compared to what is the past way of you're either a full time permanent job or you're a you know contingent talent kind of servitude labor mindset I, I I don't know how that would benefit anyone to have that polarization and that bifurcation versus the ability to say, well, every company realizes work can be done in more fluid ways. Do we need to always define it with that strict, rigid structure of a full-time permanent rec that is the endless checklist, which increasingly is not going to be achievable because the talent supply will not yield our endless checklist forever, and especially not at diversity population demands and at the, you know, interest in the way we want to have them work in a rigid way. Like, I think society plus worker preferences in demand and just operating efficiencies are all the forcing mechanisms to say, how do we, for every piece of work that needs to get done, break that down into what are the true options? And it's not internal or external. It could be internal doing it permanently or internals doing it as a project. It could be an external doing it part-time for now. It could be an external working as part of a team, augmenting our workforce, doing it. It could be role sharing. It could be a contingent that then becomes a perm if they want. And then depending on phase and life wants to go back to being a flexible talent. And so I, it, it's, it's a, Two-sided parties have total interest in seeing this change because of that agility and kind of achieving what people are looking for and achieving the benefits of the org to be more flexible and fluid. The only
2: thing I question is in what time frame and whether mm-hmm. it's it's you know next week or next decade or the decade after that that we'll see the com- comfortably that movement has happened, so I'm I'm optimistic in the very long term. I just don't. I think there's a frustration issue of we can see that it's possible tomorrow, but but the speed with which it happens is going to be slower than we think.
0: Yeah, I, I stand by my observation that the is from the future because we've just we've just got too many organizations trying to cram back into that whole model. Big big companies, big companies that I think are are and I'll steal that phrase. They're just too big to fail and they're going to do what they want to do and whether it's just a matter of having an asshole ceo uh who just doesn't get it or, or an incredible amount of investment in property real estate that they just can't walk away from to shift how they work so i i do i am uh, cautiously optimistic right that we will get there but uh, to your to your commentary like i, I just don't see it happening in uh, in a super effective and broadly adopted way way in less than 10 years. Got it.
1: Yeah. I I think there's, I think there's a a really interesting question here, which is almost it's been marketed improperly. A lot of these things like talent marketplaces that either your whole workforce is, you know, project workers or I think part of that mis-messaging is it's almost like a, 5%, 10% 10 percent here 510% here 3% here i think i think all of us should expect how that shift is going to happen is going to be honestly solely based on business demand need and worker preferences right so if there's an area where you can't find the external talent to do that work or let's say jerry we talked about um the baby boomer population i think this is a great place to say well, we should probably expect that they're never coming back if we don't change the rigidity. But I know a lot of them that have said, if we could work maybe 20 hours a week, uh, we'd love to continue to contribute meaningfully. We love our peer group. We love uh, you know bringing our expertise. We love having a community. And so it's almost like the greatest tragedy of all time if we don't take this opportunity to say, you as a company want those people to continue to contribute their skill set for as long as they want. And the difference between aligning what they want and what you want, which is already aligned is the rigidity that you're not willing to rethink how someone can contribute meaningfully in anything. That's not a full time, you know, 45, 50 hour a week job. That's, that's a shame, right?
2: Yeah. I'm, you're a, I'm a fan. I mean, you know, it's, I've been able to do that I do think you you may and you made the point it's it's a two-sided coin here so it's not just what the employer needs to do certainly the employer needs to get it and have much more agile kinds of approaches to how they operate but at the same time that there's an embracing accountability of the individual to continue growing to continue learning to uh, to be able to uh, feel that they are making a contribution beyond perhaps playing a good game of golf today. So there's there are those kinds of issues that that have to take place as well. Yep. Is there is there anybody you'd call out, Athena, that you see that that is doing this
0: well? That's that's making that that shift aggressively.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, there's companies that are just so impressive in how they've thought about almost this liquid talent concept. I take a an innovator like Greg Muccio at Southwest Airlines, who for years, his team actually well ahead of what we're all talking about right now have said, let's identify the best talent for the work that needs to get done, irrespective of talent types. So his recruiters have access to internals, externals, perm and flex workers for nearly for many of the opportunities that get created. So they're already playing that talent advisory, which no chat GPT and no AI is going to replace, which is great for all of us, of saying, all right, for that role you have open, here's the, in each swim lane of talent type, here are those potential options, here's the speed, the cost, and here's maybe the diversity of each lane, and then you all decide which labor type you want, but that's being delivered to them at once in a holistic view. Which I think that's where you can actually have a chance of changing the business, the hiring manager's mindset and opening the possibilities, not by saying, what type of labor do you want? Do you want this job to be filled internally or are you willing to have a contingent work? They're probably going to say no if it's something different than what they're used to, unless you present to them on a silver platter Here's the several options and we understand what trade-offs you're gonna ask about, which is cost, which is speed, which is diversity. So here's that accompanied with each of those three to five options in each set, and now make a more informed decision based on the options that we've presented.
0: Yeah, I do think there's a distinct play here for the tech when we're talking about this liquid talent concept. I think I think there really, really is. And I I don't think recruiters job go away, but I think to your point earlier is that has to change, right? The roles have to, have to absolutely change. We've been saying talent advisor for a long time. We had a guest on the show who said they were, they were already talking, talking about in five years, the recruiters won't even be called recruiters anymore. They'll be called likability consultants. So, it, so it is kind of an interesting shift for folks to pay attention to. And I think the tech just gets, gets faster.
1: Yeah. Well, the exciting question that we're asking more and more is with our AI, with other AIs and the kind of revolutions that are happening in AI, um, you know, what work does that create that is not feasible to do today because you don't have a real-time processing engine? Not, you know, we've always had that discussion around what work do we no longer need to do? And then what work does that let us focus on? But the discussion we've not had, and we need to start having is, what work has heretofore been impossible to do because we don't have situational awareness across business data, across supply-demand data, across labor market data to signal to us things that then triggers us to come in and do work, and you know I think this is a great dialogue for us to start having with 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 customers, with the market of, and what is the skill set of a recruit, a talent acquisition professional, a talent advisor professional, an HR professional to then do that new type of work that we never had to do before? And how do we start getting them ready now? Because that work will come with the um, unlock from the AI below them.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, it, it, uh, one of the things that, that keeps uh, hitting me is you, you called out the Southwest and Southwest has been um, from its beginning a company that was um, very open to different ways of looking at things, and continues to do that under the current leadership, um, and and to get get companies at that level to get to that level, uh, raises for me an interesting issue of of true transformation from an old way to a new way versus those that start off with that kind of openness. And there certainly are a lot of small companies that have grown to be very large that have that Southwest, uh, always was, always was that way. Chris and I just, uh, had actually, um, a breakfast with Libby Sartain, who was the original, uh, CHRO, uh, engaged in, in helping to create that kind of culture. Um, and so the kind of change efforts that are going on in major companies, I think, have to continue to evolve to get them from some of those old ways to the new ways.
1: Yeah, I, there's actually um, there's actually a great book from Jim McKelvey um, called The Innovation Stack, Building an Unbeatable Business. Uh, he was the founder of Square. It's a it's a wonderful book. And it actually talks about um, and he's a he's an amazing, amazing entrepreneur and, and person. And he talks about how he was able to beat Amazon, which he should have never been able to do because he deeply focused on technology and outside of technology, even these small things of processes and changes and how his talent was trained and how his people think and how his culture was built, such that. It became a problem solution, problem solution chain that was unbeatable um, by someone who should have won. And I think that's a great, he actually has in there um, example of an airline that n- no airline, you know, the, the Southwest story, the JetBlue story, the Virgin story, these don't make logical sense from a cost of capital, cost of plane, the slotting, the regulatory to fly, the, but When you put customer centricity at the center, when you put employees at the center, when you rethink the human experience and in every single part of the business, then you can actually build a undisruptible force of a, you know, David Goliath real competition. So um, I think that's the opportunity for AI first companies. There's a lot of companies out there that Hired Score has, you know, for years been asked, do we compete with? People that actually we partner wonderfully with the ATSs, the HCMs, even the CRMs, and what we say is when, you know, when you're built as a AI-first, AI-only company from the core, you make so many different decisions, and your kind of culture baked into that is things like everything must be explainable, you know, everything must be auditable, et cetera. But when we don't have that, you kind of miss out on being able to do that from the base.
2: Interesting,
0: cool. Well, let me ask you a thing. That you can take us out with this. So we're talking about books, and we're talking about the, how passionate we are about, about this, this change, right? And I did put a link. That's yes, great.
1: Terminator today.
0: Is, it, is my voice <laughs> <to that> thing? <laughs> All right, dear. You ask her about the book. How about that?
2: I will. So so he's got two questions for you. The first one is. Um if you were to write a book now about what we've been discussing, what would you call it? What would be the title?
1: Oof, such a good one. Um I I think I I think it would be something I, I'm not a marketer, so I would need my guru marketers and uh, (laughs) my CEO office staff to help me think of something catchy. But the tagline would be about, um, you know, redefining access to the workforce, you know, really starts with rethinking who and how work can happen. And I think that it's this beautiful first time we have such deep alignment between people that want more opportunities and want to experience work and do work in different ways and the chance to do types of work in different ways and companies who have never had more financial incentive to evolve to that. And it's this like forcing mechanism to solve something we talk so deeply about that I know you all care about from the foundation and I care about, which is, let's go back to job access. It's not just necessarily the first thing you do in that company at the base level, it's the ability to experience new jobs and the exposure to what that means and the also exposure to other things around the work itself. Um, And so I think this book would really be about what, what are the different mechanisms that are triggering that on the talent worker side, on the human side? human capital side and what is triggering that revolution on a corporate side. Um, and and why do we have this unique opportunity?
2: Cool. And so if, if you, if you now have this book other than Chris or myself, who would you, who would be the first person you give that book to?
1: Absolutely. It would go to my dad who wrote a book. Uh, he wrote a book 40 45 years ago called Jobs and Social Change, which was about how we have to disrupt. I don't know, Chris, if you can find it online. They used to teach it at uh, UPenn and a few other places. We have some yellowed copies at home now, but it's really about how um, you take the most underprivileged communities in the States, rethink the education we are providing them to actually break multi-generational poverty. Um, and we do that through job access and job opportunity. So uh, I would hope that mine would be a 50 year later version of his book <laughs> to say, um, you know, how do we rethink about jobs and the impact that can have on social change?
2: His, okay. His last name is Carp.
1: Yes. Michael Carp.
2: Michael Carp. All right. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to look back because that's about when I was going to graduate school. So studying that same stuff. So that's really? kind of-
1: Jobs and social change? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, God,
2: yes. Anyhow.
1: <laughs> Actually, it includes two or three pages of his favorite restaurants he ate at when he was writing the book across the U.S. And my book would have the same thing. Cheap eats right. to high-end eats, the whole spectrum. <laughs>
2: Thank you. That's so so cool, Chris. You're taking us out. That's it. Can you hear me? Am I still a robot? Yeah, you're. You know, it's a little bit, but um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, we, we love we love talking to you. This is a great conversation from my point of view. Uh, we could do these all day long, but um, but we we try to do them once a week anyway. And 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 Chris, anything else you have to add? <laughs> no so grateful for your time with you thank
0: you for joining us and i'll just remind everybody upcoming podcasts every week and you can check out what's ahead for cxr at cxr.works always
1: so much fun there.
2: don't leave yet don't leave. <laughs>